When I was 12 years old, my parents left for the evening to go eat dinner at a friend's house or something along those lines, and they left me at home alone. Now, this is one of the first times I remember being at home alone because normally my brothers were there. And so I was all by myself in our house at night, and I was a little bit afraid, but I sat down on the sofa and I began to flip through the television channels just to see what was on. As I flipped through the channels, I ran across some reruns of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> now, I had watched this show with my dad before, but I had never watched it alone. If you haven't seen the original Twilight Zone, it's not scary in the way that movies are scary now. There's not a lot of gore or blood. Instead, they leave a lot to the imagination. And the premise behind the show really is, what are some things that you could be afraid of that you've never thought about before. Okay, so uh, at the beginning of every episode, this guy, Rod Serling, would come out and he'd say something like, he'd go, meet Bob. Bob is a normal man, like you, like me, with hopes, with dreams, with plans for his future. But he's going to wake up this morning and go into a seemingly normal airplane, one like you ride every day. And that plane will take him on a journey, a destination where everything he trusts will fall out from under his feet and he will fly into the twilight zone, right? And then that theme would come on. And so I was sitting there watching this show, uh, episode after episode, and after the first episode, you know, there's some story about an airplane that flies into the past and they can't get back, or a guy walks into a town and uh, nobody understands him all of a sudden. He's speaking English, but his friends and family are changing, and it plays upon your fear of loneliness. And as I'm sitting on the sofa watching this show, I get increasingly nervous. Our house was structured so that if you were sitting on the sofa watching TV, the dark bedrooms were behind you. And as I began to watch the show, I became increasingly convinced that there was somebody or something in the rooms behind me. So I got up, put on a brave face. I probably grabbed like my plastic wiffle ball bat or something, walked back into the other room, turned on all the lights, looked in all the closets, couldn't find anything, sat back down again, could not get over my fear. And yet I kept watching the show. I don't know why. All right. I finally got up, I got on the phone, I dialed the number my parents had left me and got my dad on the phone. My dad comes to the phone from his dinner party, son, what's the matter? I said, dad, I'm scared. And he said, well, what are you afraid of? Is there something to be scared of? And I said, well, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things, right? In my mind, there's, I mean, there's an infinite number of things to be scared of. But what I said is, well, I was watching a TV show and some scary things came on and it kind of made me afraid. And my dad goes, what were you watching? And I said, the twilight zone. And there was a pause on the other end. And I remember still him going, why were you watching that while we weren't there? And uh, he talked to me for a moment, but left me to deal with the consequences of my own behavior. They didn't come home. And I remember that moment, and I still think back, and I go, why was it that I was so eager at this age to act like I was brave, to open up my mind and my heart to fears about things that couldn't even happen? And yet, as an adult, I laugh at that, and then I go, how often do I sit in my room, in my office, lie in bed? And I open up my mind and my heart to all kinds of fears. I'm going to guess that you do that as well sometimes. 
If I were to go around this room and ask everybody here, what are you afraid of? There's something. You're afraid of something. Now, it may not be uh, monsters or something along those lines, but you are afraid of something. Maybe you're afraid of being alone. And so if you're single, you spend your nights and your days worrying, what if I'm alone forever? And I never find that person. Or maybe you're married and you have a family and instead of wondering, what if I'm single forever, you think, what if they leave or they die and I'm alone? Maybe your fears are more of a financial nature. You say, how will I provide for this family that I have? What if the economy tanks? What if I lose my job? What if we have a medical crisis and the expenses pile up and I can't pay and the bank account is drained and we can't support ourselves? Some of you are just beginning college and you have a fear of failure. You're afraid for the future. So your parents dropped you off and you put on a brave face, but you're thinking in your head, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to fail calculus two. And I'm going to have to come home and live in the basement and for the rest of my life hear my parents say, I told you to study. I told you to study. It may surprise you to know your parents fear that more than you do, actually. If I were to go around this room today and say, what are you afraid of? There would be something. Everybody's afraid of something. Now, the problem comes in when we begin to allow those fears to control our lives. And in the years that I've ministered to college students as well as to adults, what I find is that often our lives are driven by the things we fear. So if you're afraid of loneliness, you'll do anything to find a relationship, even if it's an unhealthy one. You think any marriage must be better than none. If you're afraid of financial loss, you'll do anything to keep money in the bank if you let that fear drive you even if it means dishonesty at work, even if it means working so many hours you don't see your family. And your fears can drive your life. And the real danger in that is that it can keep us from pursuing Jesus Christ. Because to pursue Jesus Christ as he's called us to do as believers in him often takes boldness. It often takes staring our fears in the face and continuing to look at Jesus instead and say, I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to share the gospel even if it costs me relationships. I'm going to live with integrity even if it costs me money. I'm going to reflect Jesus Christ and pursue him and honor him in my relationships even if it means I'm alone. But instead, we let our fears drive us. And as you look through the scripture over and over and over again, the word of God exhorts us, do not be afraid. It's one of the most often repeated commands in the Bible. Do not be afraid. And the basis for our courage is not a sort of Pollyanna mindset where we say, ah, there's really no problems. There's nothing to fear. Nothing can happen to me on this earth, right? The reality is that trouble will find you. Despite what you have read in the papers, the mortality rate of humanity is still very depressing, 100%. One death for every person. Death and trouble and sickness will find you. 
And so the scripture doesn't base our courage on some sort of mustard Pollyanna mindset. Instead, it says, in God, you have shelter and courage that cannot be taken away because God promises you something eternal. As we look at Psalm 91 this morning, we're going to get a glimpse into the character of a God who provides us with shelter and courage even when we're afraid. Now, Psalm 91 is written to a particular person at a particular time. It was probably written to a king of Israel or Judah, and it's in the Old Testament. So we know that they are living under the structure of the Old Testament law, of the covenant God gave to Moses. Now, if you know about the covenant of Moses, you know, of course, that there were blessings for obedience and there were curses for disobedience. If you did what was right as the nation of Israel, God said, you will stay on the land, your crops will grow, you will flourish, you'll have victory over your enemies. If you disobey and you move into idolatry, you'll get kicked off the land. You'll experience the loss of your crops. You'll experience physical punishment. And so the Mosaic law had these physical, very temporal, very earthly promises for the people. And so as you read through Psalm 91, you're going to see these promises that the king who trusts God has nothing to fear because he cannot fail, particularly in a military sense. Now, you and I don't have that same promise, but we have the same God. And as we walk through Psalm 91, we will see aspects of God's character that do not change. And even better, what we're going to see is the author of Hebrews tells us we have better promises. We have eternal promises. And we have eternal promises because Jesus, God's only son, died in our place and he rose again. Almost every fear you face, if not everyone, really can be traced to this. You and I are afraid of death. We are afraid of sin. We are afraid of the devil. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus promises us an eternal hope that shelters us from the permanent consequences of all of those fears. And that's the character of our God that we see in Psalm 91. So let's look at the principles from Psalm 91 that teach us about this character of a God who trains us not to fear. The first thing we see is this, Psalm 91, we see God is our shelter. God is our shelter, verses 1 through 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. And he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. I love the imagery of the first four verses because it's not just that God protects us, it's that God is our shelter. Uh, When you are afraid, fundamentally what you're afraid of is that there's no barrier between you and those things you fear. Right? So you say, there's nothing to prevent me from getting sick. And my health at any moment is in jeopardy. I could walk out of this room today and experience serious health problems or even death. Or there's nothing to protect me really from financial dissolution because my bank account isn't ever going to be big enough. There's no shelter. And what Psalm 91, 1 through 4 tells us is God himself is our shelter. And the, the danger we face in the midst of our fears is to begin to believe 
that if I plan hard enough, if I think hard enough, if I am strong enough, if I build up enough money, if I build up enough health, if I eat enough asparagus, I can keep all of my fears at bay. And yet over and over and over again in Scripture, we see you cannot control your life to the extent you would like. Certainly, your strength, intelligence, your planning cannot ultimately control the course of your life. Uh, Neither can worrying, by the way. I love Jesus in Matthew 6 says that which of you by worrying uh, can add a single hour to his life or literally can add a cubit to his height. Worrying won't make you taller. Look at me, all right? I am living proof. I should be 15 feet tall if worrying would add a cubit to your height. But it doesn't. It cannot control the course of your life. And what we need is real shelter. Back in 2003, my wife and I were living in Dallas as I was finishing seminary, and we got in our car one afternoon to drive to a friend's engagement party. Uh, When we got in the car and began to drive, it started to rain. And then we got about a mile away from our apartment complex, and it started to hail, little, little bits of hail on top of the car. And by the time we got halfway there, the hail had grown and it was the size of baseballs. I've never seen anything like it before or quite like it since. And I was in my 1992 12-year-old Toyota Tercel thinking this car was not built for durability. It was built for cheapness. And these baseball-sized blocks of ice are pounding on that car. And we pulled in as best we could into a gas station. It seemed like half of the Metroplex was trying to get under this gas station. Why? Because we wanted shelter. After the storm was over, and after we surveyed the damage to the car and dealt with that, I remember thinking, if I had not been in that vehicle, I'd be dead. Without a shelter between me and these huge balls falling from the sky, it'd be over. And in that storm, some people lost their lives. When you're afraid, what you want is shelter. Here in Psalm 91, 1 through 4, there are actually four different names used for God. Right in the first two verses, actually. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that's Elyon, El Elyon, the Most High God, the God who is higher, who is taller, who is bigger than anything you fear. If you can't add a cubit to your height by worrying, don't worry about that because God's already bigger. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God, the one who stands above and beyond all your fears, will abide in the shadow of El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a term that's often used for a mountain. And if you think about a mountain in the midst of a storm, there's a mountain here. Uh, That mountain is not falling over. It's been there for a while. When the lightning passes, the mountain's still going to be there. If you trust in God, it's like you're in a cave in that mountain and nothing can touch you. I will say to the Lord, to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress. This is the the four-letter name for God that was the most revered name for God that the Hebrews used. And the idea is that this God is I am who I am. As he revealed himself to Moses, he does not change. He does not leave. And then my God, Elohim, in whom I trust. That's my God. That is the God who is a shelter 
from our fears. And then the psalmist goes on to describe him like a big bird, right? Not big bird, a big bird, okay? (laughs) Critical distinction, who shelters you under his wings, right? Like a hawk or an eagle. It says he takes you under his feather and you're safe. The faithfulness of God is a shield. If you want an application, try this experiment this week. Drive to Washington, D.C. and try to walk into the White House. You won't get close, will you? You might be able to stand outside a fence hundreds of yards away. You try to walk in, what's going to happen? The security's going to protect you. Right? For those of you who are younger, try it with Justin Bieber, right? Uh, same concept. You can't get close. Psalm 91 says, God is your shelter. As long as he shades you, nothing can touch you. Now, for the king of Israel, of course, this is meant in a military sense, probably as he's going off to war. You will not die if you trust in God. You will experience victory. For you and me, the shelter comes because Jesus Christ stood in front of the train that was hurtling down the tracks to kill us. Sin. And the consequence of sin is death. And so God gives his son who stands in front of us like a shield and takes the brunt of the impact of sin and death. And if you are in him, it's not that you won't experience trouble in this life. It's not that you won't die. It's that death can have no hold over you for eternity. What that means is there's nothing that you're afraid of, nothing that I'm afraid of, that God has not already defeated in Jesus Christ. And for those who trust in him, he shields you. God is our shelter. God is our courage as well. Verses 5 through 13. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. To guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you will trample down. You don't have to raise your hand, but think about this. Have you ever been afraid in the dark? Most of us as kids have had those moments when we were afraid of the dark. A percentage of us as adults are still afraid of the dark. And whether you admit it or not, my guess is that you've had moments even as an adult where you were a little afraid of the dark. My three-year-old son wakes up nightly to come into our room to tell us he's a little afraid. And I'll admit there have been moments where I go into his room, turn on the light, we check everything out, uh, he goes back to bed, I walk back to my bed, and all the lights are off, and suddenly I feel afraid. Right? What's there in the dark room? What's in the backyard? What's in the front yard? What's where I can't see? I'll admit, it gets worse when my wife is out of town. Why are we afraid of the dark? Because of the unknown. You can't see into it. You can't predict the future. Something might be lurking. I ran across a study this week 
they studied 474 lion attacks in Tanzania between the years of 1998 and 2009. And what they found is that the majority of them, well over 60% of them, happen at night in the dark. So maybe we on some uh, basic level are afraid of an animal, a lion attacking us. Freud The famous 20th century psychologist said, what happens is when you're very young and it gets dark, that's when your mom puts you in the crib and walks away. So what you're really afraid of in the dark is your mom's not there. So you lie awake and go, mommy, right? I need you, okay? I don't know whether that's true. I doubt it is. But we're afraid. Why? I think because we can't see it. What's coming our way? So there could be all of these fears out there. On a metaphorical level, I think we often live in the dark, the terror of the night, when we look into the future and we say, what could happen to me? I could get sick. My family could get sick. I could go broke. I could lose my job. I could die. I could be alone. And so we feel this terror of the night. Psalmist also says there are things to be afraid of during the day, right? Just to brighten your day up a little bit, right? You can be afraid at night. You can be afraid at day. At night, you can't see what's happening during the day. The sun could come down and scorch your crops. Wars happen during the day. People get killed. There's always something to be afraid of. And as we walk through this passage, he talks about the pestilence and the plague. And some of the words that the psalmist uses seem to refer to Canaanite gods of plague and pestilence, Canaanite gods of death. And there's an implication even in this psalm that what we're really afraid of is the darts and the arrows of God's great enemy, Satan. And maybe what we fear the most is that God has an enemy who attacks and he's real And we read passages like 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's always looking for a weakness in your armor. And how does he do it? John 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. He constantly seeks opportunities to lie to you. And I think one of the biggest is this. God doesn't care. God doesn't notice you. God has forgotten you. You are on the edge of a cliff and God is about to let you fall. Maybe he's going to push you off. It's the same lie, really, that tripped up Adam Adam and Eve, isn't it? God knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to live forever. He doesn't want you to live forever. God doesn't want your eyes to be open and know good from evil. So he's keeping something good from you. And he whispers into our hearts and our minds. God can't be trusted. God can't be trusted. But the psalmist says, God is our courage. A thousand may fall at your side. 10,000 at your right hand. It won't approach you. Because God is our courage. Our courage doesn't come from, again, a mindset that just says everything's going to be okay. But instead, from the reality that God has defeated death. He's defeated sin. He's defeated the devil. We, all the time, we try to construct false sources of courage, don't we? 
Maybe if I just study a little bit harder, I can ensure that my future will be successful and free of problems. Maybe if I just find the right spouse one day, if I had the right kids, if my kids were the right ones who obeyed me, right? If I can build up enough in my 401k and we construct false sources of courage, the psalmist says there is one courage and that comes from the fact that God knows you and in Jesus Christ, we'd say God has saved you from death, from sin, from the devil. He's beat them all. And so we have an eternal promise that nothing can touch. I have a relative who about 10 years ago made some good investments. Uh, invested in the market and did very, very well. So got a call one day. The investments that you made have skyrocketed. You're a wealthy man. You have enough money to retire. You have enough money probably for your kids to inherit money. You're doing great. Fantastic. Hung up the phone. Fifteen minutes later, got another call. The tests came back. You have cancer. And you have five years. And he said, at that moment, he said, I thought, I'm, I'm that rich man Jesus talks about. I've got good stored up for many years, and it's offering me no courage right now. Because the things that I fear are still assaulting me. He said, at that moment, I realized if God is not my courage, if eternity is not my hope, then my fears will always chase me down and keep me from trusting Him. Those of you who have small kids know that there is one unassailable fact of the universe, and that is that monsters are afraid of parents, aren't they? So your kid comes in, there's a monster in the closet, there's a monster under the bed, what do you do? You walk in and they're gone. They have fled because of your presence. Monsters are afraid of the presence of God. The devil and death and sin, they run away from him. And so when you and I are afraid, the answer is not just to try to muster up enough courage or try to do one more thing or plan one more way, but to look at that fear and you say, blank, whatever it is, my bank account, my significant other, my health, whatever it is does not provide me with courage. God is my courage. Whatever it is does not provide me with courage. God is my courage. Because if I know Jesus Christ, if I know God's Son, then I have an eternal courage that one day even death will not hold me in the ground. One day even sin cannot claim my life. One day there will be no loneliness because I'll be in the presence of God. There will be nothing to fear. There will be no dark because the presence of God will shine like a light, illuminating all the dark places. There will be no worry for the future. There will be no lack of provision. There is nothing to fear. And so I can say, whatever happens now, I can pursue Jesus Christ, trusting that I have a hope for eternity that cannot be taken away. God is my courage. And then thirdly, God is our salvation. Verses 14 to 16. 
Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. It says, for this king that trusts in me, I'll set him on high. He will see my salvation. In this context, he will be saved not only from the consequences of this military defeat, but the nation will experience life on the land, peace from enemies, the abundance of crops. I will save him. And I think in a long-term sense, this psalm is actually a prophecy of the fact that the one who trusts in God will experience an everlasting salvation. And although the psalmist doesn't even know the name of Jesus as he's writing, He recognizes the one who knows the name of God doesn't need to be afraid because God will save, he will deliver, he will redeem from death, from sin, from the enemy. Earlier this summer, uh, my wife and kids went to a friend's pool and they were in the backyard having a good time in the pool and my wife was sitting and watching them and talking to her friend and the kids had played in the shallow end of the pool and they were having a good time and you know how it happens with a small child you can be watching them but it just takes a second for them to move and our three-year-old son got up out of the shallow end and began to walk around the pool Shannon turned to talk to her friend and then she heard mommy and what had happened was our three-year-old son walking around the pool had slipped and he fell into the deep end of the pool And he's not yet a good enough swimmer to get himself out. And he pulled himself up from the water and he hollered her name. And she immediately heard and she said, I didn't know I could run that fast. She got over there and she reached in, she scooped him out and pulled him to safety. And later that night, we were talking at the table and we said, Samuel, were you scared? And he said, yes. We said, so you called mommy's name? He said, yes. And then I saw mommy running to me. And I knew I didn't need to yell it again because mommy would get me out. You feel like you're drowning when you're in the middle of your fears. And much like Peter, who was walking on the water, he begins to sink. You remember, and he gets his head up just enough to go, Lord, save me! And then he goes back down, right? And Jesus reaches in and pulls him out. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? If I were Peter, I would say, well, I mean, look around, okay? <laughs> there's a storm, it's, there's waves, you know, I'm not exactly you, and uh, you walked on the water, I thought I could do it too. I was wrong, because it's scary, right? And people don't do this. Why'd you doubt? You're in the presence of Almighty God. Peter, you're in the presence of the one who goes, shh. And the water stops. And the rain stops. God is our salvation. And so as you begin to sink, it may be some of the things that you fear actually have come true. And that generates more fear. And you feel like you're drowning. And the promise here in Psalm 91 is that if you know the name of God, He is your salvation because the day is coming when everything you fear will be wiped away. And so you can still pursue him with boldness and courage even when you're afraid. You see, that courage isn't actually the absence of fear. 
Courage is doing what God has called us to do, even when we're afraid. With the recognition that all of it one day, all of our sin, all of our death, is going to be wiped away. To know the name of God is to trust Him. The psalmist says, I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. Look at Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. To know someone's name is to say, I stake my life on his reputation. I stake my life on his character, that God is good, that God is powerful, that the answer to whatever fear I'm facing is that Jesus has already beaten it. And if I'm in him, I will too. His resurrection is a guarantee of yours and mine if you trust him. And that one day we will stand in a place where there there is no more fear. Revelation 21, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Beginning in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Everything we fear is going to be washed away. You can take it to the bank. God is our salvation. And so in the midst of your fear, here's what we do. When you feel afraid, remember God's character. He is a rock, he is a shelter, and nothing will move him. Remember, he's taller, he's bigger. You think of that mountain, El Shaddai. You think of that bird, I'm under his wings. Nothing will get to me because God is our shelter. Remember God's character, remember God's presence. He's with you. He's with you. Just saying it. The God of angel armies is always by my side. He's always there. You can't get away. Read Psalm 139. You can't get away. You could climb into the depths of the earth. You could fly to the highest place. You could go as far east or west. You could learn the lesson that Jonah had to learn the hard way. You can't get away. He's always there. He will not leave. And he knows what you fear. And he sees what you're struggling with. Remember God's presence. Remember God's salvation. We live in a sin-riddled world where death still claims victims. But it's all going to change. And so you feel like you have your head up and you say, God, save me. You look out. And you see him running your way. I don't have to be afraid anymore. And so as we read a passage like Psalm 91, 
We read it and then we say this. God is my courage. I will not be afraid. A passage that we have consistently tried to reinforce with our own kids. Psalm 56.3. Very simple. You can memorize it right now. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Because he is our courage. Uh, This past summer, I, I found myself numerous times struggling with fear. Uh, we've entered into a new kind of phase in our lives. Uh, when we were younger, and we just had Shannon and me, or just one small child, uh, you know how it is. You've got one or two kids, and, and they don't eat a whole lot at first. Um, so you can buy like eight chicken nuggets, you know, and you just take one of those nuggets, and you divide it up, and all three kids kind of share it, and they're good, they're good to go. <laughs> Now, what we have found over the last several months is that uh, they actually eat. Like at every meal, they want food, okay? And uh, this begins to get irritating after a while, right? Because food costs money. And so you see the expenses begin to climb. And you see that as they get older, your life begins to get more and more expensive. And I'll admit, over the last couple of months, I started going, how are we going to pay for these children, And what happens is that fear that isn't really consistent with reality begins to creep in. Right? The the facts of the situation, uh, nobody is starving. Nobody's out on the street. God has always, always, always provided, and yet fear creeps in. But what if he doesn't? What if this is the time that he doesn't? You better look at the bank account again. Yeah, still not making me feel better. All right, look at, look at these investments. Yeah, it's still not making me feel better. Stressing me out more. Well, you better find a plan. I have no plan, right? That's going to make me feel better. Why? Because my fear isn't rooted in reality. It's a lie from the devil that says you can't trust him. So toward the end of the summer, as, as I began to study passages like this, I began to pray. I said, I'm not going to be afraid because God is my courage, and I know what's true. I began to feel better, and then you know what? The next day, all of a sudden, I was assaulted with a new fear. What if nobody at work likes me? <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, I'm walking around, and I go, is this consistent with reality? And I can't see clearly what's real. What if, what if they don't want me here? What if my worth is determined by what I did yesterday, which I can't really remember much of what I did, right? And so I go, maybe my worth isn't that great. And I have a new fear that swoops in to to claim the place of the old one. And so I come back to this again. God is my courage. Why do you fear fear financial distress? Ultimately, because you're afraid of death, right? You're afraid of starving, being on the street. Why do you fear that nobody likes you? Because you don't want to be alone. You want community. Everything you fear really is a variation on two or three things. And so we keep coming back to this reminder. In Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear because he's defeated all sources of fear. Sin cannot claim me. Death will not take me forever. The devil will be crushed under his feet. He's already won the battle. And so we say, God is my courage. 
And God is my courage. And God is my courage. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, I know even as we talk about this passage this morning, all of us in here have moments that we're afraid. Many of us are afraid even coming in this morning. We have fears weighing on our minds and on our hearts. Remind us of your character, of your power, and of your grace. Because we do deserve death. And yet in Jesus Christ, you've given us life that cannot be taken away. I pray if there are those in here this morning who do not know Jesus that they would place their faith in His name for the life that cannot be destroyed. And then each day, Father, allow us to walk boldly with You, to trust that You will lead us where You need us to go and that You shelter us under Your wing. Thank You for being our shelter. Thank You for being our salvation. Thank you for being our courage. Remind us of that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.